All right, episode 18 is live and kicking. Like the last couple episodes, I started off talking a little bit about lay of the land, what we've been dealing with here. We don't put that aside. We're still dealing with it. Um, We're not going to just let it go and, you know, make those posts that we did. And then we kind of go off on our way and and things get back to the uh, to the norm. No, we're not going to do that. This go around. I'm going to touch on it again. um, Let's keep uh, the, the cohesiveness going. Um, that's, you know, people know me and, and that's the kind of the thing I think that uh, people like and I'm down for that. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't mind that. Um, I try to keep things positive. I try to, uh, you know, put the hand on the shoulder uh, type of, of move um, just in life. Uh, and so I hope that, uh, I hope that you can uh, follow and lead in that way as well. Um, one note, if there is anybody out there, because people know me, this is like a, a free for all. If there's somebody out there that you think should be on this show, hit me up, you know, refer somebody. Um, This isn't about uh, who you are, where you are, what you are. Like, let's get this thing going. This is, this is for you. Um, So again, if you know somebody that see some other groups are starting to happen, they're having their own sort of conversations like, Hey, I'm here. Uh, like bring it to me. I'm, I'm people, people, again, people know me. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that you, uh, that you can lean on. And I want that to be uh, the way it always is. So with that said, with that said, Chris Kirby, Ithaca Hummus, talk to us a little bit about how it started. I think it was 2013. Uh, yep. Bring us back there. Let's do a little time travel. Uh, tell us a little bit how it got started. Uh, give us that story. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for having me. So yeah, 2013, I was evolving out of my career as a chef in restaurants, wanted to stay in the food business, but wanted a company of my own and needed some business education to make all that happen. So I moved to Ithaca, New York, started going to the hotel school at Cornell there. And my first weekend, I went to the farmer's market, just just really to look for like an opportunity, like I can start a farmer's market business while I'm in school to kind of get my feet wet and apply what I'm learning in school in real time. And I was absolutely shocked that there was no local hummus person at the farmer's market there. So a month later, that local hummus guy was me and um, started at the farmer's market, uh, just making a super fresh seven day shelf life uh, product that everybody just loved. And I would always get this question of like, why doesn't the, the stuff that I buy at the grocery store taste as good, taste as fresh as this? And so after about six months, um, through a kind of mix of like making some, the right connections and meeting people at the farmer's market, Wegmans, which is local to the upstate New York um, area, discovered me and decided to put Ithaca hummus into one store, the Ithaca store which uh, makes sense. And within four weeks, we were selling over a thousand cups of our one flavor in that store every week. So, um, you know, I I took this kind of local small business and started to realize that, wow, we're we're making a meaningful impact and we have a role in the category at one of the best retailers in the country. This could really be a big business. But in order to make that happen, I had to figure out how to increase the short shelf life of a very fresh product 
to you know 100 days so that it was commercial commercialized let's let's stay there for a second if you don't mind because there, there's some really there's going to be some good info there for for everyone um that's still 2013 or are we now into 14 yeah uh, yeah probably close into 14 at that point okay and were these in individual as in like the cups that they are in now maybe there's seven eight nine ten servings in it yes okay and was it ithaca hummus yep okay i like all that um you were packaging it, I'm assuming, I have actually a twofold. You were packaging it uh, probably independently. Was this at your house? I rented a little summer camp kitchen, actually, for like 250 bucks a month to get rolling. I like that. Okay, so there's framework there. And you had put together a logo, the concept, ideas, the labeling, nutritionals. Um, what did the category look like then? I'm assuming it doesn't look like it does now. Um, what were you kind of newer into that? I, I can, you know, I have a hard time thinking about yesterday, but let alone, you know, seven years ago, give us that, give us that framework. Yeah. I mean, the, the category was crowded. It's still crowded. I mean, you have this massive, you know, multinational company, quite frankly, that owns Sabra and, and they at that time had 60, 70% of the market. They still do. Um, and then there are all these like private label equivalents that quite frankly have the same product. And then there's this subset of emerging brands and the emerging brands. There's been some fallout since the time that I started. Some have gone away, some have declined and we've, you know, risen to the top. So, you know, that, that's probably the major change, but Sauber still owns the majority of the hummus market today. Okay, I like that, and that's it's great that you have to identify that. I think some people, um, they get a little nervous about identifying or even talking about what would be not just maybe a competitor, but a leader in the category. Um, you know, for me, I, I often say, well, that's the one you're chasing, right? Um, and even sometimes I say, you know, you give homage to it, right? You, you, you want to pay respect to what it is that they built, because let's not forget, they also started at some point, right? Yeah. Um, with that now you are seeing success at Wegmans by the way Wegmans amazing retailer shout out um you're seeing success there what do you do next step how do you prepare for it and what did that look like so um i really focused and and tried to grow just like Wegmans has grown in these concentric circles so I wanted to be the best local product first and then the best regional product and then the best product in the East Coast and just, you know, trying to grow step by step incrementally. So we had some time under our belt with Wegmans and then we moved on to Whole Foods Northeast. Um, and at the same time, I was delivering hummus out of the back of my car to all these independents that I could feasibly drive to before the ice melted in the cooler. And um, so we had the independent natural foods market started I would say for the first two years uh, between Whole Foods, Independence in the Northeast and Wegmans, that was our primary focus. Were you profitable in those years? You know, again, we'll talk money in a little bit and it's just such a different landscape now. I think some people, what you've maybe seen me make mention about how much money you need in this space and you need way more than you actually think, right? But you know, some time ago, um, the landscape was a little bit different. Were you hyper-focused on profitability in your early years? I like that, by the way, again, you, you mentioned about sort of a, uh, 
a, an inch wide mile deep theory, right? Which can still be used today, especially if you're, um, you know, if you're, you're short on cash or you just want to test out the model, which you should be doing anyway, receiving data. What did that look like? I would say that we've always been more profitable than a lot of, you know, emerging brands that look like us, partially because starting at a farmer's market, that's a cash business. So, you know, I'm not, I was able to purchase raw materials, convert that into finished goods and turn that right back into cash within a, you know, a week. So that really helped. Um, And then also just, yeah, not overextending into markets that didn't make sense. That's a very expensive journey and sometimes a mistake that early brands, you know, tend to make. And so we've always ridden on break even slightly profitable side of things. And I really like to keep it that way. (laughs) I always say like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, throw any haymakers because that's how you end up on the mat. So um, just trying to be disciplined and incremental has been a big part of what's allowed us to stay in the game long enough to catch those lucky breaks. Folks, he threw in a boxing analogy if you missed that one. So you can rewind about 25 seconds and catch that if you, because it's a good one. Um, Yeah. I like that. And it speaks to many people uh, who, again, are are maybe watching this or watch it at some point. um, You know, the 25 people that watch this. Um, (laughs) There is something to be said about how you are growing your business and how you could potentially maintain profitability. Again, you know, I, I like to just keep it real. The landscape is so different today. Um, you know, it, it is hard to start regionally or that really small play to, to go out, test, collect the data because you, you're being fed so much information about growth, about raising capital. Oh, this, this person got this. It, it's, it's not just confusing. It, it, it does kind of take you off your path a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are ways to develop and build a brand um, with a little bit less cash and just trying to stay really focused on profitability. Now, let's set that aside for a sec. You're, let's get into a couple of years post that, um, maybe a little bit more expansion retail wise. Where are you at, um, let's say in 2018? 2018, we had gone from self-manufacturing um, to partnering with a co-packer in upstate New York. They had an HPP machine uh, which extended the shelf life of our product from seven to 100 days without changing the formula at all. And so that really allowed us to start expanding. And, you know, by 2018, we I mean, we, we had been, we'd gotten into Publix. Um, we were seeing success in other re, uh, regions of Whole Foods and a lot of the conventional chains on the East Coast still. But, um, you know, crossing that gap from natural and local and what made sense to more conventional, bigger box retailers um, at that point, I would say we were probably in about 3,000 stores by the end of 2018. Very cool. Yeah, shout out again, Whole Foods and Publix. He's given, given love. Uh, both great retailers as well. Um, so now you have a decent size business. Uh, let's talk team. Have you built at that point? Are you up to five, six, seven team members? Um, what did it look like as far as as far as how you were able to grow that at that time? Yeah, uh, good question because it relates back to the profitability that we were talking about. I have always kept a very very lean team, and 
in 2018, when we went from a self-manufacturing model to a co-packing model, all of a sudden we didn't need a whole lot of manufacturing, you know, employees. So we went for, we went down to just me and one other person at that point. So in mm. 2018, it was, there were two of us and um, we managed the whole thing by uh, utilizing some outsourced resources. Like we had an outsourced sales force and brokers and an outsourced CFO, um, social media, all that stuff we outsourced and mm. we've slowly tried to bring those things back in house when we felt like um, there was just enough need for a full-time employee to, to take over some of those you know, core areas of the business. That's an amazing comment. And again, another a piece to a, to a story, right? There are many types and there are many ways to go about it. Um, and, and it's how it works for the founder, right? Or the, um, the executive team. How do they want to build out the, the, the brand um, is, is one that they need to decide because both can work. Um, and uh, I am kind of a fan on the lean. I mean, even though where we are here, we're, we, we're lean. And I, I often talk about it. Uh, I made the note yesterday to somebody again about where the numbers we're doing now and the numbers we're doing two years from now. I truly believe we, we can, can keep a legitimately tight team. Not to say we won't, we won't grow, you know, a couple, couple here and there of, of great strong team members, but I, I, I pre prefer that type of model as well. Um, in now, let's let's jump to maybe last year. Let's talk maybe pre-COVID, and then we'll jump into the lay of the land. Um, what what does it look like last year? How have you developed? Is was there any type of changes that you made that were significant? Maybe even in branding uh, and in or in skew count uh, in our offerings. Yeah, we have been through a handful of refreshes of our brand, um, which people from the outside might look at, look at and be like, what the heck? I mean, what are you doing? Changing your brand every two seconds doesn't make sense. But, you know, as we've had more resources, it's again been like this incremental approach of like, we can do better, we can do better. And so, yeah, we went from the round, you know, tub that you see everyone else using in the category to a square. Um, and instead of all these different colored lids and colors, you know, we, we, we want a white look on the shelf and that has really helped us stand out. Um, so definitely changes on the packaging and branding side. I think as we all know in CPG, that is your number one, you know, most powerful tool that you have to grab someone's attention right there in the battlefield of retail. Um, because we don't do online, you know, we just do, you know, traditional brick and mortar. So um, yeah, we had a lot of changes uh, with the packaging and with the brand. The team has changed. Uh, we, we ended up hiring a VP of sales. You know, I had someone very high level come in and, and help with marketing. Uh, and looking back, we've changed that. You know, we've gone from hiring people at the very top to come in and basically build from the top down and totally flip that on its head. And, and we're hiring people that are young, hungry with enough experience, but really to build from the, the, the ground up. And we're having a lot more success with that. And that happened, that was a transition that we made from 2019 to 2020. And thank God we did because look, our fixed costs on this business are way lower than they would have been had we kept high dollar, you know, very uh, high level uh, people on payroll. So um, it's changed dramatically and, and, and I would say in a lot of ways for the better. It's a journey, folks. 
Yeah. Uh, I, you, you represent so many of us. Um, it is not a straight line, right? No. You know, there are so many cliches thrown around there, but I often repeat the ones that I think are, are super sticky. It isn't a straight line. I'm, you're going to, I mean, you're going to make all of these different, um, changes and moves and adjustments and some call them pivots and, and there's going to be, with that said, there's going to be some money wasted, you know, by, by, by learning, right? Um, and at the end of the day, as long as you have your North Star, which is I like to, you know, as long as you know your why, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter because through all of that, right, through the ups and downs, the curves and the, and the, and the punches in the face, right? Um, that was boxing again. Uh, uh, you've got to weather it. You've got to be able to weather it. And legitimately, the only way you can is if you have the North Star, is if you have the why. Um, and so I appreciate you being candid. That's what we need. That's what people need to hear and listen to and learn from. That's what this was about. So um, let's talk now because you touched on DDC um, with a product like yours. Um, and I just want to sort of end with like the, the, you know, the COVID situation for, for a brand like yours with so many having to sort of move into if they hadn't already in a DDC, DTC. Um, what did that look like uh, specifically? And were you affected on shelf? Uh, and how are you seeing it? Because I want to get to the positive side of it because we're seeing, it, you know, what's coming out of this thing. How has that affected, let's say now versus three, three months ago? Yeah, um, definitely. It's important to stay flexible. We've evolved. Um, just some things that come to mind, like we have an Instacart program now that didn't exist three months ago, but is completely, you know, going crazy. Um, so a real focus on online platforms that are kind of like, you know, not D to C, so to speak, there's a great term for it that I'm trying to think of. And I, I can't right now. But you know, not shipping products directly to consumers, but how do you market to them directly outside of the traditional brick and mortar? Instacart's been a great tool for us. Ibotta has been a great tool for us. Um, and then traditional shopper marketing, like, you know, Inmar, Catalina, things like that. You know, we're starting to do more and more there. Um, but outside of, you know, those uh, types of platforms, I think what's been really crucial for us through COVID was to maintain a 100% um, fill rate for all orders. So a lot of our competitors have struggled to keep up with the variability and demand. And thank God we've got a great team on that, that, that has done an excellent job and maintained, uh, you know, the fill rate on our orders. And then in terms of just consumer facing general marketing at this time, um, and, and it's starting to change a little bit now, but, We've really tried to focus on who are our current customers and how do we turn medium or light users into heavy users? Because look, I mean, when there are shortages and you know, people are going crazy because they don't want to walk into a grocery store, the last thing they want to do is try a new brand that they've never, you know, so, so now is not necessarily the time to focus on new customer acquisition, driving trial with people who are unfamiliar with your brand. It's more about how do you focus on your, your existing user base and plus up their you know, buying habits of, of your brand. And, and that's changing slowly now. It's starting to change from what we can tell. But 
Um, that, that, that's probably been the biggest refocus that luckily we caught on to pretty quickly and have seen, seen some success with maintaining our, our forecasts and, and you know, growth expectations. Chris, you may be one of the most well-spoken guests thus far. Wow. <laughs> you have, we, I, everybody's been amazing. I've just been lucky because I just get to sit here and just, you know, say stuff, right? Um, you are very well-spoken. You know your business. You're transparent. And you offered up some gems in there. I hope that people, again, the 25 people that see this, um, see that because I do and I appreciate that and I respect the heck out of that. And so I, I leave often with the same sentiment. I wish you nothing but success. Nothing but success. Thank um, you so much. And uh, I, I like that journey. I like the way you articulated it. it. It speaks to who you are and I can feel that. Along with the stash, I can't even do it. I can't even get it. I can't even get it going. So um, don't say that. Abs on that. Yeah, it takes time. It takes time. You, you can't give up on it two, three weeks in. I look like a fool for a long time trying to build this thing. So if you're ever serious about it, you know, just give a little time. <laughs> we'll have a separate talk about it. That's fine. All right. Uh, uh, all right. Um, Eram Blockman. Here we go. Mauve. I think we're talking about how to support brands at retail. Give it to us, my friend. Dude, I, I'm loving the names. The like Flashman and Mav. Sorry for correcting. Chris, I love your story. Uh, I love the comments on the concentric circles for growth and the trying to grow from light and medium to heavy. I think those are really meaningful and deep insights for, for brands. So that's super cool. Um, Mark, I have to say to you, I love the platform you give to brands and to service providers. I have to say the post for salespeople on LinkedIn, obviously I love and Monday morning mood gets me started. So uh, forgive the, you know, uh, the tooting, but uh, Thanks, appreciate, appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to talk about two things. So thanks for giving me the time to talk about two things. So one is Mav, my company, what we do, and two is when and why American brands, truly innovative American brands should come up to Canada. So that'll be topic two. So Mav is a sales services company or what a lot of people call sales brokers supporting the CPG industry. I started this company in 2018 for two reasons. One is I think that game, the sales broker game needs to be better, needs to move up, needs to be better. The second reason I started my company is because the thing that I reflect on when I reflect on my career to date is about the people who I've had an impact on. The list is super short. I hope to make it longer, but I, I'm building a company where I can tool up people to be successful in the CPG industry, in the modern CPG industry, be effective salespeople, have a better life, a better career, a better ability to take care of themselves and their families. And that's what gets me up in the morning. So that's why I do what I do. Um, so what Mav is, we're, we do resources, we do solutions, problem solving, we do execution. Um, we do that in a number of ways, but the two key ways we do that are one, account management. So retailer head office management, we help you build distribution, help brands build distribution, we help you amplify your assortment strategies, maximize merchandising, elevate your promotional strategies to amplify your brand voice, 
uh, and to grow your sales. We do all of this. We have, uh, we work with the supply chain partners at retailers. We work with the category management partners at retailers. Um, obviously with the buyers, we help you get top to tops. We do this in a way where founders or senior sales leaders don't need to get involved except for when it's critical. We help your internal stuff. So from an operational perspective, ensuring you have forecasts, your financials, help you with your P&L so you can grow your brand and stay focused on the things that lead to your success. That's the first thing we do. The second thing we do is what we call targeted territory management. So targeted territory management means, or why we call it targeted is that ABC model of stores, so looking at stores and breaking it down and say, ABC, that is not good enough, that is not sophisticated enough. You are losing money if that is how you run your field execution. We do training, we do merchandising, we do sales at retail level services. We virtualize these things for small town, high velocity stores. We do an amplified program for densely populated urban environments, high velocity stores to maximize your dollars, to maximize your ability to grow your brands. So that's what ter targeted territory management is about. So what MAV does is we do sales growth. That's what we're about. I'm gonna ask you, do you have any questions about that, Mark? No questions, I get it, and I like it because anything that's gonna help increase velocity, I think Chris would agree here, is a good thing. Uh, right. So Mav, if a little info there, can help you with that. And you need a little hummus in your life? I love hummus. Right here, Get baby. it. <laughs> Look at the shirt. You guys, I appreciate both of you being on. Uh, to much success. Uh, let's help one another. As I often say, let's be good people. Let's do that and be well. Thanks, Mark.